Today's reading is from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, good morning. I am... uh... Yeah, I'm really excited uh, to be here with you guys this morning, uh, both because um, I, I grew up in this church. Uh, I was here in the nursery, all through elementary school, high school, came back after college. And so uh, to be here in this room with a lot of people that I love and respect uh, and have um, shaped my walk with Christ is just, it's a privilege and it's an honor. And so... Uh, yeah, I'm really glad to, to be here. I also speak really loudly, so I don't know if this needs to get turned down, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if we need a mic. Uh, but, uh, as Pastor Aaron said, my name is Andrew Piasecki. I am, uh, an elder here at Grace, the youngest of the group, which in the name elder automatically puts me at the, I don't know how that works, but, um, yeah, it is, uh, it is by God's grace that I'm here and able to, to deliver the word with you to you guys, um, with you guys. And in some ways, this just feels like uh, an extension of what we sang about, right? We sang about a God of wonders who's beyond our galaxy, and he's holy, and he's holy, and he's holy. And so, um, yeah, my goal this morning, as I was just praying about and thinking about this and how we talk about science uh, the goal is to show uh, the value, the beauty, and the trustworthiness of Jesus by looking at science, uh, by taking a route that is um, maybe a little bit different, but uh, one that hopefully encourages us, um, yeah, and we just walk away with a greater appreciation for who Jesus is uh, and what he's done. So that's the goal uh, for this morning. Um, so the question, like Pastor Aaron said, we're in this series of hard questions but good news, right? So we've talked about some uh, hard questions before, uh, and we come to this question, isn't the Bible anti-science, right? Isn't there this conflict between what we read in the Bible uh, and what we observe in the natural world in creation? Uh, and so that's the question that we're going to be getting at today is, is, is the Bible anti-science or isn't it? anti-science. Um, in order to do that, um, we need to, to think about, okay, what is science, right? So uh, I am a science teacher. Uh, I graduated from Cedarville University with a biology degree, uh, went on and taught in China with my wife for three years, fell in love with teaching, came back, got certified, have taught uh, at Christian school, taught science, uh, and now teach in the public school and teach science. So this is, uh, this is something that I've thought about a lot uh, and really, really enjoy the topic of. So that's part of the excitement this morning. Um, so the first thing we want to do is we just want to define science. So according to the Oxford uh, Dictionary, 
Here's the definition of science. The intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. Now, that definition is a bit of a doozy. Uh, That's not what I say to high schoolers when we talk about what is science. Uh, I say something more like uh, science is it's a way of knowing things or learning things about the natural world, right? It's a process of experimenting and observing, and we kind of figure things out about how this natural world works, right? How our bodies work, how nature works, how physics works. That's what science is, right? It's this process of learning and knowing. Um, And so we come with this question of, isn't the Bible anti-science? We just have to ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about science? And the answer here is, it doesn't, right? The word science doesn't appear in the Bible. Um, And so, as we are with a couple of topics, uh, we're left to look at the whole of Scripture and try and let the wisdom um, that's there inform how we would answer the question, right? And so, while uh, the Bible doesn't explicitly talk about science, it certainly gives us some wisdom for how we might think about science, um, and there are some other things that we do this with, right? We do this with, um, say, the Trinity, right? The Trinity is not a word that appears, but uh, it's a, if you look at the whole of Scripture, you get you have this understanding of who God is. Or uh, other things, like maybe human rights, right? The Bible doesn't list out, here are your rights as a human, but we do look at it and it informs, okay, here's how we treat other people. And so we, we kind of figure those things out. Uh, and so we're, this morning, uh, what we're doing is we're doing something similar with science, right? Where we're trying to look at the whole of the Bible and say, okay, if it doesn't talk about it explicitly, what, what does it say that might inform how we think uh, about science? So um, let, me, let me just reread here uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, because... Uh, it's an incredible passage, and I do want to say um, that what we're doing with Colossians 1 this morning is not looking at Colossians 1 and saying, okay, what did Paul mean to communicate to the church in Colossae, right? Uh, what we're doing is we're looking at it and we're saying, okay, here's what Paul said, um, and here's, here's how we might use that to answer a question that we have. Right, so you could look at Colossians, you could look at these five verses, and you could preach a sermon on resurrection, you could preach a sermon on the Trinity, you could preach a sermon on uh, Christ as head of the church. <clears throat> but we're coming at it with a slightly different question, um, recognizing that we're using the whole of the Bible to try and answer it, and we think there's some wisdom here uh, that will help us understand it. So let me just reread it. Um, just so that it's fresh in our mind, if you have your Bible, yeah, Colossians 1, uh, 15 through 20. <clears throat> it starts off with he, that's Christ, uh, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Uh, the, all things for Christ. 
Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so we're looking at this, uh, these five verses, and we're asking the question, isn't the Bible anti-science? We want to let the wisdom found here help us to answer that question. Uh, so having been a science teacher um, in both a Christian school, uh, having gone to a Christian college and thought and learned science there, uh, I find that there are um, there's a couple of reactions that Christians tend to have towards science, right? Uh, sometimes the reaction is, uh, I don't understand it, I don't need it, and so I have the Bible, I'm good. It's okay, right? The scripture is, is sufficient. Um, sometimes there, I find this, uh, this hesitancy to kind of explore or dive into science because it's almost like there's this fear that you might find something that puts what you believe in question. Right, so if, if I could find, well, maybe I just won't and we'll, we'll avoid it. Um, and then there's certainly there's others that look at science, um, yeah, as a, as a beautiful way to know more about the creator. And so, um, the first, yeah, the first point today, um, is Christians have complete freedom to explore and ask questions of the natural world because Christ is its creator, sustainer, and reconciler, right? Those three terms there, um, creator, sustainer, and reconciler, they all come from those five verses, right? In verse 16, uh, for by him all things were created. In verse 17, in him all things hold together. And in verse 20, uh, we have, yeah, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, so, uh, the, part of the goal, uh, this morning is to, is to realize we are completely free to explore and ask questions of the natural world because Christ is the creator and he's the sustainer, um, and he's going to reconcile all things to himself. So whenever I, whenever I teach, um, well, when I taught, uh, in the Christian school, I would use this analogy, right? The analogy goes something like this. If you uh, were given an iPhone, right, and you were just, and you didn't know anything about Apple, you are just given this device. <clears throat> if you were allowed time to mess around with it and play with it and poke at it and maybe uh, undo the back and look at some of the, in, what could you figure out about Apple, right? What could you learn about the company that made it if you had time to just look at something that it made? Right. And so, uh, if you, if you did that, you would probably come to the conclusion pretty quick that Apple cares about privacy because they're always asking, can this app do this? Uh, they care about security. Uh, and you would probably come to the conclusion, uh, that they've created something pretty complex, right? Pretty hard to replicate that the, whatever, whoever made this, uh, was, yeah, was doing something, uh, that would be hard to replicate. Right, and so science, in a very similar way, 
uh, is giving us a window into who its creator is, right? And so as we look at the natural world, uh, we are uh, getting glimpses of the one who made it, right? We're getting glimpses of uh, its creator. There are some limitations to that, right? Like if you had a manual for an iPhone, you would be able to learn more about it than maybe just fit, uh, fidgeting with it. Um, and so in a similar way, we're not looking at the natural world to tell us everything about who God is, but it does give us a unique window uh, into uh, looking at who the creator is. So science offers us a lens. Uh, and what's really cool is it actually provides some insight that Paul didn't know when he wrote this. Um, so, for example, if you were to look at verse 16 there, uh, it, Paul says that Christ created all things in heaven and on earth. All right? If you put your mind, um, or if you, you think about, okay, what did uh, ancient people know about the heavens? Right? What did they know about uh, what was out there? Uh, by the naked eye, if you're just looking at the stars, you can pick out about 6,000 of them, right? There's about 6,000 stars that you can see from Earth without a telescope or anything like that. And at the time that he was writing this, that's where they would have been, right? Um, but science gives us an even better understanding of what these heavens are. Uh, and so we, yeah, we use science, we use technology to get a better glimpse uh, at what these heavens are. So I, uh, I asked them to put up a picture here. Uh, so if you're in, if you're into science, um, this is a picture that it was actually just released by the White House, um, I want to say two weeks ago. Uh, and it was taken by a brand new telescope, right? A $10 billion telescope that's sitting a million miles away from the Earth so that it doesn't have to deal with our light or the sun's light. And it can just, get a better glimpse of the cosmos. And so this picture here is stunning because these, all of these here, all of these lights, they're galaxies. Right? These are, they're not stars, they're entire galaxies, uh, and they are incredibly far away. Right? They, the, the furthest one they think here uh, is about 13 billion light years away. Uh, that's a number that is almost incomprehensible to us, right? So if you travel at the speed of light for that many years, that's how far away these things are, right? And so we look at this, and what do we learn about the creator, right? What, how has science helped us understand just a little bit more about the creator when we look at things like this? Um, just a couple of other really interesting points uh, according to our best estimates, uh, there are something like 200 sextillion stars in the universe. Um, that's a number that I, I mean, that's, so the pre, or the suffix sextillion just means something times 10 to the 21, right? And so I, I just put the number up here. Somebody I talked to was like, you might need a visual aid for that one because whatever. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so this is, this is the number of estimated stars. So we've, we've got these telescopes. We've looked out at this cosmos and we're like, 
Yeah, this is, this is uh, roughly the number of stars out there. And so, when we look back at Colossians 1, right, and we see that Christ is the one who created the heavens, we have a better understanding of what that is. And what does that tell us about God? It tells us he's huge, right? That he is powerful, right? There's an energy in all of this that is just completely beyond what we can understand uh, or that we can wrap our minds around. And, and I love, um, Psalm, let me, yeah, Psalm 33 here. <clears throat> Sorry, Psalm 33 says, uh, in verse six, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. Right, so the picture here isn't of God straining to make this or straining to make these stars. The picture is him talking. Or even more simply breathing out these stars, right? Uh, and that's an understanding of God that Paul just didn't quite have. Sure, looking up and seeing 6,000 stars was enough to gaze at it and wonder and all. But we, through the lens of science and technology, just have a better wonder and all at what God made when he breathed out. Uh, the starry hosts. Another one uh, where science maybe helps us get an understanding of who God is, uh, is if we look inside of ourselves, right? Uh, David in the Psalms wrote that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And he really didn't know that much about the body, right? Uh, he knew something. He knew enough to know that it wasn't uh, simple, right, what we were made of. Uh, but again, we, we have a much better understanding of uh, what, what goes on inside of us. So, again, when Paul says uh, that Christ created the things that are invisible, right? We have, a, we have a much deeper understanding of what some of those invisible things, and certainly there are some that we don't know about yet and we don't understand yet. But there are some that we do um, just get to look at and marvel at. So back, uh, if you look at medicine back around the time when Paul would have wrote, written this, uh, they would have understood the body to be, um, to have these four humors, they called them, or these four fluids, right? So you had blood, you had yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. And all disease was really just an imbalance of these four things. Uh, so if you had a fever for a long time and you're too hot, maybe the answer is you need less blood, like you just have too much of it, Right? And so they would bloodlet, right? We'll just drain some of that out, try and balance these four fluids. Um, obviously, that, that is wrong, right? That's not how the body works. Uh, but that was their understanding of it. And so you look at what uh, science through the microscope has told us about what we are. And again, uh, it lets us marvel at the creator. So... Um, they, they think that a human, an average human, is made up of about 30 billion cells. Um, sorry, trillion cells, even bigger. 30 trillion cells make up you. Uh, and inside of you is an equal number of bacteria. Now, you might look at yourself and be like, I don't like that thought. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, what, do, what do you mean? 
uh, inside of me is any, uh, don't get it, don't get it. The bacterial cells are much smaller than human cells. So if you were just like weighing them, they would only weigh like a kilogram at most. Uh, so you are still mostly human, but inside of you, you have an equal number of bacterial cells. Right? And we don't, and we, we're kind of at the beginning of understanding all that that does for your health, but you are an environment for them that was completely unknown to, to Paul when he wrote that Christ was the creator of things that are invisible. And so, um, we just, we have an awe and a wonder uh, at what God has made partially, not entirely, but partially because of what science has uncovered about this creation. Uh, so Christians are never going to find something in nature that puts any of what Paul says about Christ as creator and sustainer of all creation into question. Right? We're never going to find something and go, oh, did Christ make that? Is he sustaining this? Is he going to... Uh, reconcile this. There is nothing to find uh, that would, yeah, call that into question. And that's an incredibly freeing thing, if you ask me, right? That you, as believers, are free to learn as much as you want to push the boundaries of science in the name of honoring God and learning about his creation uh, and being part in some way of that reconciliation. We think about how much suffering has been lessened because of medicine, right? And we, um, and Christians can be on the forefront of that, right? To be the best scientists and nurses and doctors, not because we just want to know more, not because we're just curious, but because this is God's creation and he made it and we can push forward in that knowing uh, that we are never going to find something that, oh, is, is Christ really the creator? Is he the sustainer? Uh, on the grounds of Colossians 1, we have complete freedom to do that. Now, <clears throat> that brings me to point number two. Uh, point number two is this. Christians should be cautious uh, of some of the conclusions that a worldview based on science might bring up. Right, so uh, you might call this a scientific worldview. Uh, you might call this a naturalist worldview. It will certainly be presented as scientific. Uh, but if left to answer our ultimate questions, a worldview that holds that the only things that exist are ob observable will come to some unbiblical conclusions. All right? Um, I, there's an analogy here that I love uh, of for worldviews. And so... Let me just share it with you as we kind of think through, okay, we're looking at the same thing and coming to different conclusions. So um, here's so here's the analogy. There's a farmer, right? And he's in a field, and he is helping deliver a calf from a cow. Uh, and it's not going so well, right? The cow's turned around, and it's coming out legs first instead of head first. So he's out there kind of wrestling to get this cow out to help it be delivered. Uh, and driving by this field, there is a family in a car. And the parents look out, and they see this, and there's blood, and there's fluids, and they're like, hey, kids, don't look out the window. Right? Just, just don't look out the window. But there's a kid, probably a boy, probably a young one, uh, <laughs> sitting in the back seat of that car, 
And as soon as mom and dad say, don't look out that window, he knows he's gonna. It's just a matter of waiting a second. And so he looks out the window and he sees this calf halfway in and halfway out and this guy trying to help get it out. And he just can't help but ask his parents, uh, hey, mom and dad, how fast was that calf running? Right? And you scratch your head and you're like, what, what do you mean? Right, but from what he saw, he's thinking, all right, the calf must have been running real fast to run into its mom and gotten stuck like that. How quick was that thing going? Right? But what we know is that that's not it, right? It was on its way out. And so, I, it's a funny analogy, it's always stuck with me. But we can look at something, we can all look at the same thing, and we can come to some pretty different conclusions about how that all got there. Right, and so as believers, uh, we have the Word of God that tells us how those things, these things that we see, got there. However, there is a part of uh, maybe a, a philosophical part of science that would try to answer some of our ultimate questions just by what we can observe, and the conclusions that they come to, uh, some of them are just unbiblical. So, what are some of those conclusions that might be uh, unbiblical? Uh, one of them is that the origin of life is just a result of chemical interactions, right? That is something you would hear from a, uh, a naturalist or a scientific worldview, and you go, oh, that, that's not it, right? That's not what the Bible says is the origin of life. Uh, or another one, humanity is the result of unguided evolution through natural selection, right? It's random, unguided, and we got here, um, yeah, through chance and time. Uh, or a third one, that humanity is just another member of the animal kingdom, right? Uh, we are just, we have bigger brains, but other than that, uh, we're just, we're really equal with, uh, with the animal kingdom. Uh, I, I, we, we go to the Philadelphia Zoo and there's, um, <clears throat> there's a picture, you go into the primate house and so they've got this picture of an orangutan, a gorilla, a chimp, this is all their face. And then there's a mirror there, right? And the idea, and it's, it's kind of, right, the idea there is that you, whoever's looking at that mirror, you're just one of these, right? That's all you are. Or maybe you're the next step. Um, but there are some conclusions that science would come to if it's trying to answer things just from the natural world that are unbiblical. And so that brings up uh, the point, or and maybe even the encouragement, that... Uh, we really need to know what the Bible does and doesn't say about these things, right? Such that when you hear it, it just rings like, I don't think that that's right, right? So certainly no trouble looking um, and exploring creation, but sometimes the conclusion there that's from a different worldview might would be uh, unbiblical, and so we do need to be a little, we need to be cautious of that. And we need to make sure that we are in the scripture and we know it so that when we hear it, uh, that's one step too far or 10 steps too far, right? Whatever the case may be, uh, it's gone too far. And uh, another encouragement would be, <clears throat> as we know, when we read the scriptures, we want to make sure that we let the scriptures come to us on their own terms. So if you have your Bible, and you want to open to Job chapter 38, or switch over there, or click over there, whatever you're using, um, 
Job chapter 38 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Uh, even even to this this morning, praying for this, I just read through it and 39. Um, and in it, just to set it up a little bit, Job has been going through some incredible suffering, right? Physical suffering, emotional suffering, I would even say spiritual suffering, right? He's, got, he's lost a lot. And the first 37 chapters of Job are the story of that, and then him and some friends wrestling through uh, what he's gone through. And in chapter 38, God comes to Job, right? And God comes to Job, and he asks Job a series of questions. And again, uh, if you have time this afternoon to read through the whole chapter, it's, it's really, it's amazing. Um, but what God's purpose in asking these questions is, is to reestablish who Job is in comparison to God. Right? To just reorient that relationship. Um, and maybe in some ways to frame some of what Job has gone through. <clears throat> but if you go to verse 22 in Job 38, you'll read, this is again, this is God asking Job. He says, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? Or if you jump down to verse 38, um, yeah, if you jump down, sorry, verse 37 and 38, God says, who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Or who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of the earth stick together? Right, and so in the scripture, there are many beautiful examples um, and of and poetically depicted um, yeah, examples of God being in control, right? This is a picture to show that God is in control of these things, that these things are not, they're not chaotic, they're not wild, they're not separate, they are under his care, right? He has the storehouses of these things and the water. But what it's not doing is it's not trying to give us insight into how the world works, Right? Like, we know that the, uh, it's not God with these storehouses of snow that are physically up there somewhere and they're being dumped down on the earth when it snows or hails or rains. Uh, but uh, we've got condensation, right? And we've got freezing points and there's dust particles in the atmosphere. When they get heavy, they fall, right? And God has set up a system uh, for how those things are regulated. So, uh, the scripture is, is clearly pointing to God as being in control of these things and the one to turn to when they're not going well or they're leading to suffering, right? If you look there uh, at the end of verse uh, 38, right? Uh, Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together, right? So when things aren't going well, who who do you turn to? It's still God, but it's not trying to give us a scientific way of understanding the world that we live in, right? Um, and so we recognize that the scripture does that. And so um, probably the elephant in the room then, if you're going to talk about science and the Bible, is what do you do with Genesis 1 and 2, right? Um, and so I would just, I 
I'm not here to answer that question. I don't know that a sermon is the best place to do that. I would be glad to talk with anybody. There are elders that would be glad to talk with anybody. But I would just give you two um, really important things when we go to understand Genesis 1 and 2 in, in light of science. Um, one, we do have parameters to understand Genesis 1 and 2, right? The Bible gives us those, even... Uh, the five verses that we read in Colossians give us some of those parameters to understand it, right? It is God creating. It is him sustaining, um, right? That stuff can't be part of how we understand Genesis 1, or it has to be, sorry, it has to be part of how we understand Genesis 1 and 2. Um, and the second thing I would just say about how we understand Genesis 1 and 2 um, is that the discussion of what those texts are is not one that was imposed on Christianity by, say, Darwin or secular science, but rather that discussion of what they are um, has been going on for at least 400 years in Christian thought, way before Darwin and evolution and all that stuff comes up. So um, if that, if the questions of Genesis 1 and what to do... um, with that, especially in terms of science or maybe even evolution, uh, are a stumbling block to your faith. And for some of you, it, it may not be, right? And that's completely fine and praise the Lord for that. But if it is, um, yeah, I would encourage you to sit down with someone who has thought about it, prayed about it, sought the Lord about it, and just discuss and see um, what might be learned about Genesis 1 and 2. Through that end, I would just say, too, that if around this room, you would find a variety of opinions, right, from God-fearing believers about what they are. So, um, yeah, is that is that a cop-out to not go? I don't think so. I just want to say that, yeah, if you're going to talk about science, we're not trying to avoid that. Uh, we're just saying maybe a sermon isn't the best plot to, to go into all of it. Right, so... Uh, Maybe that leads to some discussions later. I hope it leads to some discussions later. All right, so uh, as Christians, we need to be uh, aware that uh, that as we study God's creation, we will encounter worldviews um, and perspectives that are different from the Bibles. Uh, And this is one of many, many, many reasons to know the scriptures, to know them well, to be in them to be asking hard questions of it, um, and so on. All right, so there's a little bit of a caution uh, about the worldviews that can come from a purely scientific or purely naturalistic worldview, along with uh, the encouragement that as you learn about the natural world, about what God has created and sustained, um, you're not going to find anything that jeopardizes what we know about God, right? Because that's true, and so... Uh, everything else falls under that. Uh, the third, uh, the third point here is to maybe there's someone in the room or someone listening that is skeptical of Christianity uh, based on what they know about science. <clears throat> so, to someone who is skeptical of Christianity because of their scientific knowledge, know that the Bible doesn't ask you to walk blindly or to reject what we can observe. It rather provides hope in an otherwise bleak situation. Uh, and so actually the intuition, um, so maybe, sorry, let me just take a step back. Maybe you're looking at this natural world, right? You're looking at the world we live in, 
And you're going, it doesn't look like Christ is sustaining it. Right? Like, there's fires. There's increasingly large and frequent hurricanes. We have droughts. We have looming famine. Is this being sustained by Christ? Right? And maybe uh, you just look at it and you go, I don't, I don't know, right? I don't, like, that's tough. Um, and so I would, I would say a couple of things. One, the intuition that something isn't right in the creation is actually a very biblical one, right? And if you look back in Colossians uh, chapter 1 again, and you just look at verse 20, the end of what we read there, uh, it does say that um, through Christ, he's going to reconcile all things to himself. Well, that need for reconciliation acknowledges that something is not quite right, right? If, the, if he wasn't, if he didn't need to reconcile it, uh, it would be right. And if you were, if you were to say that everything is right in the world now and Christ is sustaining it, you would, ah, that doesn't, right? But there is a reconciling part to this story, um, that Christ is going to accomplish. And so, yeah, there are things, uh, in the world now that are broken, that, um, that lead to suffering. And we acknowledge that. Uh, but we also acknowledge that Christ is going to reconcile it, right? That he is bringing all things to himself. And it's just his plan, his goodwill to do that over time. And we don't know how long that will be, but um, we are part of a story that has, yeah, that he is playing out um, where he is reconciling things. And so, yeah, things aren't right right now. It doesn't mean he's not sustaining it. It doesn't mean that the breath we breathe isn't because he allows it. It just means... Um, that, yeah, that story isn't finished, right? That reconciling is not completely done. Uh, yeah, and so the selfishness and pride of humanity um, does, uh, or, sorry, is evident in how mankind is destructive of creation, right? Um, yeah, mankind can, in our pride and selfishness and maybe arrogance, uh, we do sometimes wreak havoc on the world that God has made, right? does lead to suffering of humans, leads to suffering of uh, animals. Uh, we, we know that, yeah, it leads to changes that aren't going to be good, right, in, uh, in, in yeah, the world going forward. Um, and so, right, we, we see Christ as reconciling these things, uh, even though there is something, yeah, that we all acknowledge is not right about the way that the world works right now. Um, let me just say this, too. This is just kind of an aside. Um, if you think, uh, if part of the way that the Christians think is, all right, Christ is going to come and he's going to reconcile, he's going to make it all new, so I don't really need to partake in uh, sustaining it or helping or nurturing nature, right? It's all, yeah, it's, it's not right. Christ is coming back. I don't have a role in that. That would be a pretty unbiblical view, too. Right, as followers of Christ and as ones who are looking to, yeah, to follow him with our lives, if he created and is sustaining this creation, part of what we are tasked to do might also be to sustain um, the creation, right? As particularly as it uh, might lead to less human suffering or the suffering of nature. Um, and so, yeah, that is part of the call then as we, as we follow Christ. The main difference, though, 
uh, is going to be the solution. What's the solution to this problem, right? We all recognize that whether you're a believer or not believer, skeptical, whatever, we all recognize that there is a problem uh, in nature and so, or in, in the world and even in ourselves. And so what's the solution? If you look to science or if you look to naturalism to answer that question, uh, you'll find a couple of things. One, uh, we as humans need to pull ourselves up, right? We just need to get it together. We need to stop wars. We need to work together as nations. Uh, and we need to advance technology, right? That's where the hope is. And you look at, you look at the relationships between nations around the world. Ah, that's not so great. Um, you look at our ability to progress technology and you go, okay, maybe we've done some of that and certainly we have. Is that going to solve our problems? Ah, yeah, maybe, but maybe not. Um, or, or, you know, you can go so far. This is a, this is a quote from, uh, Michio Kaku. He's a, he's a world famous physicist. This is a guy who's like an expert on string theory. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you haven't. Uh, if you showed a picture, you might recognize him. Anyway, he just says, um, yeah, and this is a quote. He says, we need to find a new planet because the laws of physics doom Earth. All right. So there's the solution, right? The solution is, we need to get humanity out of here, right, to another planet because this one's doomed, right? Uh, and so I say that to contrast it with what we see as the hope in Colossians here, right? The hope is not me and you and China and Europe and Africa figuring it out, and right? We all just stop burning fossil fuels and we figure out how to grow more... We strive for that, but our hope is exactly what it says there at the end that Christ is going to reconcile all things to himself, right? Um, and so the conclusion here, and I'm going to answer the question. Aaron doesn't always like to answer the question at the end. I'm going to answer it. <laughs> um, the answer is no, right? The Bible is not anti-science, but rather provides a lens to view the world that shows its design, meaning, and purpose. The Bible does disagree with some of the conclusions of a worldview that wants to explain everything through purely observable means. For the Christian, Colossians 1 is a beautiful invitation to learn about the Creator through the creation. And for the skeptic, it's an invitation to consider the cosmos and our lives through a lens that has purpose, design, and a future. It's not based on human performance. So as I was thinking about it, the sermon series is hard questions and good news, right? So the hard question, is the Bible anti-science? The good news there is no, right? As Christians, we are free to partake, to explore, to learn, to ask questions, and know that on the yeah, on the foundation of Christ in Colossians 1, you're not going to find anything that's like, oh no, what do I do? Right? But I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say that there's better news. Right? And the better news is here at the very, very end of verse 20, where it says, again, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Right? And so the best news is, yeah, sure, you are free to engage in science, and that's a good thing, and you can spend your life doing that in a God-honoring way. 
The best news, though, is that Christ has made peace through the blood of his cross. Right? And that's the best news for a Christian. And if you're skeptical, that is that's still the best news. Right? That God wants and desires all men to be saved. He's calling you. He's calling all men to himself. And he's doing it through the death um, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, yeah, we, if you, again, if you, if you hear this and you have questions about science, faith, Christianity, again, we'd be glad, uh, to have some of those, whether it's after the sermon or whether we set something up to talk about it later, whatever. Um, but the best news, right, is that last sentence that we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus. And so we ask, um, yeah, my, my prayer going into this was, would be that, uh, we're encouraged that we have an awe and a wonder at the creator, um, and that we, yeah, science is just a means to that end, right? That we would know and love and cherish Jesus Christ more by what we know about what he made. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, we ask that, that God would accomplish this. Um, let me pray for us, and then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll sing our last song. Dear Heavenly Father, we, um, we recognize that you are holy, that you are different, that you are um, separate, and that you are more powerful, more glorious, um, bigger than anything that we could imagine, um, anything that we see. And so, God, we look at your creation and your world, and we look at how big it is, and we look at how intricate it is, uh, and we just we just marvel at who you are. <clears throat> God, we also... Yeah, we marvel that you care about us, right? That you're mindful of us. That in all of this, uh, you have looked at humanity and said, yeah, you are made in the image of God and you've put that on us. So God, I just pray that as we, uh, as we go, that your spirit would move in us, that we would be, uh, a people who are, um, filled with awe and wonder at who you are that would radiate out to those that we talk to, um, that we would be a people that know your word and know what you say about who you are and what you've done, um, and that we would live our lives based on that. And so we ask all these things uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.